It's the Locked On Aggies Podcast, presented by Locked On Podcast Network, talking all things Texas A&M. Now, here's your host, Cole Thompson. Howdy, everybody, and welcome back into another episode of Locked On Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat, talking all things Texas A&M, and with the 2020 season just weeks away, we have some interesting battles that will be going on, and more importantly, the biggest battle always comes from under center, so we have a very special guest joining the podcast. This episode of Locked On Aggies is brought to you by rockauto.com. RockAuto.com is an auto part customer online service that has been serving people for the past 20 years. Go visit RockAuto.com and type in Locked On on the How to Hear About Us page so they know that we sent you. Amazing selections, reliably low prices, all the auto parts you could ever need. Rock Auto is the place to be. As always, follow us on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson. I am the host of the show and I love public feedback. Anything you can do to help make this show better, I will always take into consideration. And Locked On Aggies. Locked On Aggies is your number one source for all things 12th Man related content found here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Subscribe on iTunes, listen on Spotify, and if you can't do any of that, listen live here on LockedOnPodcast.com. Well, it's going to take a lot to drag me away from this next segment, and it could be a hundred million more reasons to listen in. He may not bless the rains down in Africa, but he's going to bless our airwaves today. Ladies and gentlemen, the man himself from USA Today. Guys, give it up for the quarterback guru, Mark Schofield, Twitter dad. How you doing, man? Cole, man, it's great to be with you. I love the intro. Anytime somebody works in some Africa lyrics, I'm always pumped up to get going. I think that's always fun when we make jokes about this on Twitter, where we see you down at Mobile. It's always one of the very first things I think people talk about. Hey, do you know Mark Schofield? What, you mean Toto guy? Yeah, he's yeah. over there. Yeah, it's yeah, immediately yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's a good lesson for those that are new to Twitter. Like, latch on to something pretty silly, whether it's Toto by Africa or – I mean, Africa by Toto um, or the Pooh memes, the Winnie the Pooh memes, what I've been doing, or the Scrubs gifts. Like, latch on to something silly. It's It's going to make people, like, you know – at least smile when they think of you, which is a good thing. It's a niche, and what I love about yeah. it is you have a you have you have an, actually have a face mask. I do. Poo memes, which is like the funniest thing ever. Cole, it's legitimately the best twenty bucks I've ever spent, and I I'm, honestly I am, don't doubt that. I am hoping that you know we get to go down to the mobile for the Senior Bowl at the end of January because you better believe I'm going to be bringing those masks with me. I, I would buy one from you right there on the spot. Now, Mark, you work for USA Today's The NFL Wire with Doug Farrar. I mean, both of you are just fantastic writers. You played college quarterback. You've seen the position. But also, just to add a little bit more spice to the flame, you're a lawyer. Like a lot of people, I think, sometimes forget that you actually were a practicing lawyer for, what was it, 11 years? Yep, yep. 11 yep. years there down in the D.C. area. Um I practiced in a, a bunch of different capacities before I decided to hand it up. I mean, when I stopped, I was a medical malpractice attorney, uh, defending doctors and nurses um, who were sued for malpractice. But I've, I've run the gamut. I mean, I defended police officers for a period of time. I represented people who were injured for a period of time. Um, you, Other than like criminal defense work, I pretty much tried everything before I realized that I was much better at talking and writing about football than I was at being a lawyer. Um, so that's why I'm doing this now. But yeah, I mean, I, I have the 11 years or so of being a lawyer here in the DC area. And every once in a while, I, I put the, the lawyer hat back on and dive into that a little bit. Um, always with the caveat that, look, there's a reason why I'm writing about football right now. It's because I was a much better football writer than a lawyer. 
Yeah, at the same time, here's the, always the message of the story. Never too late to achieve your dreams. Mark exactly. was a lawyer for 11 years. You know, I'm 26 and I'm still building in this industry. Mark's been doing this as well as being a lawyer. And here's why I bring that up because he wrote a fantastic piece on USA Today. Go check it out at touchdownwire.com using his law knowledge about the NCAA and this new regulation. So, I mean, Mark, when you look at what's been going on, mainly with the Big Ten and the Pac-12 and how these players are trying to have a football season there, more importantly, getting in these final reps for anyone who's trying to go to the NFL draft. I mean, is there actually a legal battle that could happen here? I mean, look, let's face it. There is always a potential legal battle, no matter what the issue, no matter what the disagreement, no matter what it, we're talking about. Like, There's always a way to sort of try to work it into a court of law, into a, a venue like a courtroom. Like, the impetus for that piece was the idea bandied about by many that the way to get these guys back on the field, to have college football across the board in the fall, was the use of so-called liability waivers. You know, there were many that were saying, look, if the kids want to play, just have them sign a waiver because if the schools and the university presidents are worried about being sued for players that contract COVID-19, just use a waiver and they'll be able to sort of avoid the liability concerns. But as I walk through in the in the article, it's not a clear cut and dry yes or no. You know, it's not a white and a black area. Like many things in life, it's filled with gray areas. And I sort of posed a hypothetical. Say you've got guys at the University of Virginia, the University of Wisconsin and Penn State all, you know, players at each school play, sign a waiver, and then contract COVID-19 and then decide to sue the school, what happens? How valid will those waivers be? And the answer is it sometimes depends on the jurisdiction. You know, some jurisdictions like Virginia have settled law that liability waivers in terms of like a recreational situation are not valid. In Virginia, it dates back to like an 1891 Supreme Court of Virginia case when somebody was working on a railway, signed a waiver, got hit by a train, died, the family sued, and they said, no, these waivers aren't valid. They go against public policy. And that was reaffirmed recently by a case in which a triathlete signed a waiver before participating in a triathlon, dove into a lake, was paralyzed because he hit the bottom of the lake, sued the association, the homeowners association, which hosted this event. And again, the Supreme Court of Virginia said, no, these aren't valid. You know, other states have actually codified it into law, like Louisiana have said, no, these are not valid. Some states, it's more of a gray area, like Wisconsin, where they've said generally they're against public policy. But for the most part, you know, we will take them on a case by case basis. And then other other states have upheld them like Pennsylvania. And so where you've got this unsettled area of law, you could see a situation where if it does happen, some players would be able to break these agreements. Some players won't. And courts might look at that and say, well, we're going to side on the case of the player. So, it's again, it's not a clear cut and dry. The other issue is this, Cole. The NCAA basically came out and said, no, we're not going to recognize these Mark Emmert. Um, the president of the NCA came out testifying before the Senate, you know, a, a Senate committee overseeing the NCA and said, no, we don't think players should be allowed to sign these. You know, schools shouldn't be allowed to enforce them. And that gets to an area of contract law, which gets which talks about the idea of unequal bargaining strength between the parties. You know, in the example I used in the article, say somebody puts a gun to your head and says, give me your wallet. You say no. And then they say, here, sign this contract that signs your wallet over to me. 
Well, it's not an equal bargaining situation because they have a gun to your head, and that's an extreme example of it. But you can say the same applies in this situation where the schools have scholarships and playing time and all this power they can wield if they put these pieces of paper in front of a student and say, look, sign this, and the student's worried about losing their scholarship, it's not an equal bargaining position. So there are a lot of problems of potentially using waivers, liability waivers, to just erase the concern over COVID-19. And absolutely there are, and there's more to that. And we're actually going to go break that down in a little bit more with Mark Scofo. We got him on the show today. Uh, make sure you continue to listen. Make sure you follow him on social media at Mark Schofield NFL. And when we come back in just a quick moment, we're going to be talking a little bit about how these waivers affect and how, how schools possibly can make these arrangements. Howdy, everybody. It's Cole Thompson from Locked on Aggies. And much like you, I'm trying to stay in shape during this quarantine without going to the gym. But part of staying in shape is by having the right nutrients added to your body. And I think I've recently found something that really is not only great tasting, but great for me. And that's in Built Bars. Built Bars are more than just a tasty treat. They are a protein-packed power bar that keep you going throughout the days. And they come in 16 amazing flavors, all covered in 100% real chocolate, plus they're soft and easy to chew. Built Bar is great for the health conscious guy because it helps you lose and maintain your weight while also having a delicious flavor added to your mouth. The bars are low calorie, low sugar, high in protein. Let me give you my favorite example for the peanut butter brownie. It comes with 20 grams of protein, 170 calories, 3 grams of sugar, and 3 grams of net carbs. 3 grams of sugar. You're not going to be able to find that anywhere else. Why don't you go ahead and try your favorite bar by going to BuiltBar.com and using the promo code LOCKEDON to get $10 off your first order. Remember, that promo code is LOCKEDON for $10 off BuiltBar.com. So go ahead and try your favorite Built Bar today. Not only will you be building muscle, you'll be building confidence in yourself to look better when it comes time for summer season. Giga- Locked on Aggies presented by the Locked on Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat talking all things Texas A&M. Guys, let me get your opinion on something. Do you love college football? Do you love the NFL? Do you love podcasts every single day? If so, why not listen to a Locked on Podcast? The Locked on Podcast Network has over two dozen college sports shows, plus every team covered in the NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL, and highlight information to get you ready for fantasy football season coming up in just a few weeks. Subscribe on iTunes, listen on Spotify, and if you can't do any of that, listen live here on LockedOnPodcast.com. As I mentioned, we got Mark Schofield from USA Today in the building. He wrote a fantastic column talking a lot about the upcoming season and how waiver liabilities come into factor. Mark, again, this is something that's a lot different than when you talk about a family signing a kid, a seven-year-old, up to play football in Little League, and that way they sign the liability waiver for them to be able to play tackle. It's a little bit more different with this. And, and I mean, Mark Emery did go to the Senate. He talked about how they don't want to be justifiably reliable for this. I mean, there's a limit, I think, to what the universities can do, but there's also a limit to what the NCAA, I think, can hold back on. Yes or no? Yeah, I mean, there is a... a as I said earlier, look, there are gray areas throughout this entire conversation. And I think one of the things that we need to keep in mind with respect to COVID-19 is, you know, say you try to implement waivers or you try to isolate universities from potential liability. Well, what is the extent? How far does that extend? You know, you might sort of craft a waiver that says, you know, schools can't be held liable if 
uh, a student athlete contracts COVID-19 and perishes as a result. Well, what happens if a student athlete gets it, but then just has some sort of heart condition that causes them to retire from the game of football? Will they then be allowed to sue for a potential loss of draft status or something like that? They'd, there's so much we don't know yet about this virus, and there's so much we're learning as we go along. We're seeing while there are isolated cases, there are you know, anecdotal cases of people, including healthy people that contract COVID-19 that make a full recovery in a sense, but have lasting lung damage or heart damage. We're seeing evidence of brain damage. And so what about those issues? And so you know, there are so many deeper issues than just the do they contract it and survive this illness that schools are grappling with, you know, and there's an underlying sense here that with respect to whether they should play or not, we're seeing this come on, on the same track of the NFL, which is working back towards playing. Teams are in training camp right now. There's rigorous testing. We're seeing good tested numbers, albeit there was a hiccup with, you know, a faulty test and faulty lab situation in New Jersey over this past weekend. But those players have a union. College players don't. So there's no one bandying together, grouping together to sort of fight for the rights of the players and protect the players. That's why we're seeing a lot of discussion about, okay, so they can't unionize because there are National Labor Relations Board's opinions that prevent college athletes from unionizing Northwestern football players. Kane Coulter led that effort a couple of years ago. That was struck down because there were difficulties in terms of the distinction between public and private institutions. But what about instead of a union, a players association, maybe that could work to protect the rights of players. And that would work to also negate the uneven bargaining position between student athletes and universities. And so, yeah, there, there are gray areas throughout this discussion. It's a difficult discussion to have. And we're seeing it break down in the sense where some conferences, such as the Big Ten, such as the Pac-12, are being more conservative in respect to this, in the sense where they're not going to rush back to the field because they don't want to put players at risk, whereas other conferences such as the SEC, the Big 12, the ACC are saying we can put rigorous testing in place, we can have protocols in place, we can protect our players, keep them safe, we can protect our coaches, keep them safe, and get back to the field here in a couple of weeks. But again, this kind of goes back to the liability thing. You know, you have two conferences saying we're not going to play this year, but the SEC, you know, where they say it just means more is suiting up and getting ready. I mean, I've seen training camp footage from Texas A&M. I've seen training camp footage from Alabama. I've seen what they're going through, and I've also seen how they're testing up there. With a liability waiver, if the university offers it, if the NCAA sends it down to say, all right, we know Nebraska and Iowa want to play. You want to go play and you want to go schedule your own teams? Go for it. You sign it. Does that mean every single university has to get the same liability waiver that goes through, even if there's already conferences saying, we don't really care, COVID-19 or not, fans or not, we're still suiting up this year? Yeah, Cole, I think that sort of gets back to the earlier distinction because some schools will be on solid footed when they try to implement liability waivers, such as Penn State, for example. I know the Big, you know, Big Ten isn't playing, but, you know, Pittsburgh, you know, they might try to institute liability waivers, and Pennsylvania is one of the jurisdictions which has upheld them. Whereas Virginia, also in the ACC, Virginia is a state where it doesn't uphold them. And so it gets to that distinction between some jurisdictions and allow them, other jurisdictions don't. And then it becomes sort of a, a wild case-by-case, case, you know, differenti differentiation between the various jurisdictions. And so, you know, I think that's one reason why it's going to be hard to rely on the liability waiver argument as a way to sort of get around it. You know, I know some schools such as Ohio State before the Big Ten again decided not to play, tried to implement pledges where 
it wasn't a liability waiver per se, but you would sign a document as a scholarship athlete, as a football player, that you will adhere to the protocols in place. You will restrict yourself to, you know, going just to practice and to your classes and back home. You know, but the problem with that becomes, and as we, we've seen this at Auburn, for example, there were some Auburn football players tweeted out when they got back to campus and when the campus opened up for the rest of the student population, everybody's out going out to the bars. Everybody's going to the parties. And you can understand that in a sense. We're talking about, you know, at students that were put into lockdown back in March, finally back on campus. What do we think they're going to do? I mean, I was 21 once. I was on campus once. I'm pretty sure that if it were me, Right now, I'd want to go back out and see everybody. And it's okay, in a sense, if they're going to do that. But when they then go to Econ 101 and sit next to the started center on the football team, who's also in class, that poses a problem. So the schools can do everything right. The players can do everything right. But they're also at the mercy of the population of the campus at large. And as some of those Auburn athletes pointed out, I have four in-person classes. One of them was tweeting this. I have four in-person classes this semester. What happens when I do everything right, but I go to a class and somebody next to me was at the bars the night before? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm an SEC alum. I went to the University of Alabama. Uh, there's that great photo that there's 500 people sitting outside of one of our favorite bars up there, yep. Galette's, that literally has four people wearing masks. It's the same thing. I, I understand where that comes from. And, and this is where, you know, it kind of leads back to where the NCAA kind of feels where maybe they don't feel like they need to give out that liability waiver because of even though the players can do everything right, it still is possible that they get in contact with it, which then spreads throughout the rest of the population that comes inside. And, and I mean, we've seen this kind of work a little bit in the NFL. We've definitely seen it work in the NBA uh, with the bubble theory. I, I mean, college football, there's, there, there really is, I don't think, a way to have a bubble per sense. Uh, but at the end of the day, the biggest question is, when you're looking at the at this you know situation, and we've seen very top level talent guys like Caleb Fairley, Rondell Moore, Rashad Bateman, Micah Parsons, who's easily I think the best defensive player on both your big board, on my big board, on a lot of people's big boards. I mean, with the opt out clause, do you still feel like the NCAA has to come in? and provide these liability waivers, provide this, you know, this other sanctions that allow them to go say, you want to play. Okay. Players now have the option to opt out. And also, you know, it's kind of like with the NFL, there's not really a, a limit here where in the NFL, you can opt out at any moment of, of the season, but you also are going to be relied to pay, you only get that $150,000 paycheck in college football. Do you, you can't have that option. Can you? Well, I mean, I think what schools have to do is they have to allow those who decide to opt out because of concerns to retain their scholarship status. You know, there was an early discussion and it turned out to be a bit untrue. But Nick Rolovich at Washington State, when a bunch of Washington State players signed on to the, you know, request for, you know, players to have protections that was floated in the Pac-12, you know, there was a, a report that he told some of the players that they had to leave. And that that was a bit untrue in a sense. He was just telling them, look, your you, your scholarship's safe, but if you're going to decide to opt out, then you, you, you just can't be here. I mean, so it was a bit different. You know, I think students have to be able to have the freedom to opt out because of concerns over COVID-19 and yet retain their ability to stay on scholarship. And for those such as a Micah Parsons or a Rashad Bateman who decide to opt out and say, look, I'm just going to go enter the draft. They too should be able to retain their scholarship. You know, because these are unique times we're living in. 
And for many of these players, the concern is like Micah Parsons. I just did a mock draft where he came off the board sixth overall to the Giants. Like this is somebody that's not like a fringe draftable prospect. This is a potential top five player in the draft. Like if they're worried about contracting this illness and have it impact him to the point where they would fall in the draft from a top five player to out of the board, potentially if they get sick and have, you know, side effects that we still haven't truly discovered yet, they should be able to be protected against that by deciding to opt out and retain their scholarship. And I, I know, look like many conversations we're having today, sort of in the social economic sports world, it's uncomfortable. It's difficult at times, but players are finding their voice. Players are finding their ability to sort of speak up on their behalf and sort of protect themselves. And I think schools should stand by their players when they decide to make these difficult decisions in order to protect themselves. Because like you mentioned at the outset, Cole, I played four years of college football, albeit at Division Three. I'm not sure what I would have done. I certainly know I did not have an NFL future in front of me. Um, but if it were me right now and I were concerned about COVID-19, I'd like to think that the school would stand behind me, even somebody without an NFL future. And I hope that schools do stand behind their players now that they face these dis- when they face these difficult decisions. Mark Schofield here from Touchdown Wire, part of the USA Today Network. Mark, I actually brought this up on a podcast, I think it was about a week ago, and it was very similar to that. If a player does decide to opt out this upcoming year and they decide to go to the NFL draft and they hear that their draft stock is slipping, they should be able to retain another year of eligibility for their respective university. And if not, they should be granted the waiver wire that would allow them to immediately transfer to a different school to be able to play. I feel like... That is where we kind of sit on this limit because of the SEC, again, you still have players opting out. I mean, it's not as big as it is in the Big Ten. It's not as big as it is in the Pac-12. But, I mean, you're looking at several players. I, I mean, the, the biggest name I can think of right now is Panay Sewell coming out of, uh, you know, Oregon. He's 20 years old. And, and if Oregon's not going to honor to bring him back, even though he was projected to be a top three pick, and then he, his stock drops because he doesn't play this year, not because he doesn't even opt out, but he just doesn't play this year – and his stock drops all the way down to a late first, early second round pick, he should be granted the option to probably come back and still earn the way to boost his stock back up because of this season was all based off conference to conference. And again, I feel like this is a different story when we are talking about it versus SEC and Pac-12 opt-out players and players who had no option but were forced to opt out. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that there are three players to sort of keep in mind with respect to this portion of the discussion. And Petty Sewell is one because we're talking about our, potentially the first offensive lineman on the off the board, maybe the first player off the board. Like I would say maybe first That's player. how good this kid is. Then there's two quarterbacks, Trey Lance and Justin Fields, whose conferences have both decided not to play, the Big Ten and the Missouri Valley Football Conference. Now, North Dakota State has just announced they will have one game, you know, which is strange to me in a sense, because if, if it's healthy enough to play one game, but not an entire season, uh, maybe they're just doing this to try to showcase Trey Lance, but players like that, that this whose season was taken away, not through a decision of their own. They might, like you said, see their draft stock fall because particularly with fields, particularly with Lance, like these are positions where a season can certainly give you more than enough reps to sort of improve your stock. I think Sewell is in a situation where we've seen enough from him. Like he's that good. He shouldn't fall. But Fields and Lance are different questions. And so those guys should be allowed to immediately transfer and play right now. 
Like, what happens if Trey Lance transfers to LSU? I know LSU is a quarterback that they're excited about to be stepping in and replace Joe Burrow. But Trey Lance with a season in the SEC, that would go a long way towards boosting his stock. Or Justin Fields moving to LSU. Again, that would go a long way to sort of boosting his stock. We're probably too late in the year right now for them to transfer and play right away because they're going to learn a new offense and things like that. But then they should be allowed to play at some point, whether it's in the fall, in the spring, or next year, and still retain scholarship rights. And if they decide to play next year, then enter the draft in a supplemental format. Like I, I think the NFL needs to do something to protect those players, whether it's pushing the draft back, which the NFL could do. They could push the draft back till June to allow guys to play in the spring and then immediately enter the draft or have an immediate supplemental draft sometime after that season ends to let them enter the draft right away so their draft status wouldn't be hurt as much. Mark Schofield, ladies and gentlemen, join the podcast. Mark, let the good people know where they can find you, where they can find your work, and where you're going to be publishing next. Well, Cole, thanks so much for having me on. Um, always a blast to be with you, buddy. Always great to catch up. Uh, people can find me on Twitter at Mark Schofield. Do most of my work over at USA Today's Touchdown Wire with Doug Farrar. Um, got a piece up right now about you know the social movements that are underway, both in the NFL and various uh, professional sporting leagues. Um, most of my coverage will be there, but I – I host the, the Sco Show over at Pat's Pulpit, the podcast. It's mostly Patriots, mostly quarterbacks. Speaking of quarterbacks, I co-host the QB Factory with Michael Kist on Blue and Green Radio. You can check that also on SB Nation Podcast. But easiest way to find me is on Twitter at Mark Schofield. Mark Schofield, ladies and gentlemen, and that will do it for this week of Locked on Aggies. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast here at Locked on Aggies and at Mr. Cole Thompson. Go on to iTunes and Spotify. We will see you next week. We're one week closer to where Texas A&M will face off against Vanderbilt to start the season off, and we're going to be breaking down the top 25 players to watch for going into the upcoming season. We'll see you next week, and remember, take them, y'all.